Holy Spirit anointed. I can't let you get too close to me while I'm preaching. Go. Go to the valley. Good evening, church. Good evening. It's so good to be together. Tonight we're continuing our series, Visible. We're talking about uh, what the Bible teaches about the nature, the identity, the purpose, the work of the church. If you haven't gotten to join us or participate in this yet, we've talked about a lot of things, but we've been coming back to this base definition that the church of Jesus Christ is God's people gathered together to, to make the gospel of Jesus visible to the world. And I want us to keep coming back to that definition, that the, the church, the, the gathered people, you and me, not, not the building, not the organization, not the name, but the, the people, the gathered people of God. We, we come together and we make the gospel of Jesus visible to the world. And, and then I want to keep pushing on that because not only is it true, it's also vital to understanding how we operate as a church. And I, I would go so far as to say that if you reflect on your own testimony for a few moments, you know that that is true. There was a point, if you are in Christ now, where you were dead in your transgressions. Where you were as lost as lost could be. Where the, the light of Christ, the truth of the gospel was far from you. And I'm, I'm going to guess that most of us didn't have an Apostle Paul like Jesus appeared to us in a vision type experience. Although if you did, that's sick and I want to talk about it. But, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that for the vast majority of us, one of God's people or a large amount of God's people came into your life and shared the gospel with their words and with their deeds and with their prayers and with their action and with their presence. And slowly but surely, the truth of the gospel was made visible to you in their lives, their words, their actions. That's, that's, that's pretty much all of our story, is that God worked through his people to, to illuminate the truth of the gospel in our hearts. So I want us to keep coming back to that because, beloved of Jesus, I know you know this, but this is one of those things that we all know and just need to be reminded over and over and over. That cycle of hearing the word and, 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 and having it indwell you and become a part of you and, and making it visible to others, that, that wasn't a thing that just like went for the last 2,000 years and ended with you. <laughs> We are a part of that work. We're, we're a part of that thing. So, so far we've talked about the truth that the church is this set-aside ministry that, that was Jesus' plan A, that was part of his design, and that it's important to him, that, that he puts weight and authority on his church. We, we, we've talked about one of the old creeds language for the church, this idea that the church is holy, that it's, that it's set apart for a special work, that the, the church is Catholic, and not, not Roman Catholic, right, but, but the, the original meaning of that word, that it's, it's universal, that there's, there's one church of Jesus. You are either in Christ or you're not. And the church is apostolic, meaning the, the message of Jesus, the gospel, has been 
faithfully handed down from generation to generation, starting with Jesus, through his apostles, all the way to you and I, there has been no telephone game to change the message of the gospel. It has been faithfully preserved for thousands of years. It's, it's apostolic. And then, and then we talked about the idea that the church, the church's ministry happens through word and through deed. We talked about this idea that, that as, as God's gathered people, we are people of the word. That This is the, the primary way that God makes himself known to the world. And if we are going to be the people making the gospel visible, then we need to be people of the word. The word needs to be in us and through us and in our conversations. We need to reflect and meditate on it. But, 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 but it's not just that, that the proclamation happens through word, right? Through, through guys like me standing up here and preaching and, 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 and guys like all of us, people like all of us having conversations around our dinner table and in our backyard and with friends at coffee shops. That proclamation is part of it, but there's also a proclamation of deed, that the lives we choose to live the way we choose to pour ourselves out for other people, the way we choose to live in holiness and live in obedience, that, that, that those actions, that lifestyle, is part of what proclaims the gospel, part of what makes it visible. So word and deed. And then, after that, we, we, we talked about this, this idea that the functions of the church are that the church gathers and the church scatters. The, where, the word that we translate as church is this Greek word, ekklesia, which means the gathering. There's something inherent to the meaning, the purpose of the church that is we come together. We come together and we proclaim the gospel into each other's lives. In corporate gatherings like this in small groups like gospel communities and one-on-one and in very small groups with our friends, we come together and proclaim the gospel into each other's lives. We help disciple each other and call each other to further levels of holiness, further levels of obedience, further dependence on the Spirit, further repentance. We, we do that in each other's lives, but we also leave that space and we scatter and we go into the world bringing Christ with us. And as Apostle Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, we become ambassadors of Christ, bringing the gospel with us into the far reaches of the world because God has purposefully, sovereignly placed his people in all the places he's placed them. He's put you where you are for a reason so that you might have the specific friends and the specific influence and the specific connections that you have. All of us, each one of us, is an ambassador of Jesus to the people that God has put in our circle of influence. I love the way the text says it, that God is making his appeal through us. What a, what a beautiful, weighty thing. And tonight... Tonight, we're going we're gonna to talk about the ministry of the church as a ministry of prayer and a ministry of care. Now, hopefully at this point, you're beginning to see how a lot of these things kind of cross over, right? A lot of these different descriptions of the church like seem similar to each other and they touch on the same things. And that's, that's on purpose because we're talking about the actual mission, purpose, identity of the church is really simple, 
The gathered people of God making the gospel visible to the world. We're grabbing a hold of various images or ideas or word pictures brothers and sisters have used throughout history to help expound that, but, but they're going to cross over because it's a really simple thing we're talking about. It's what Jesus said on the mountain, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. God's people gathered together, making the gospel visible to the world. Well, we're going to talk about that tonight in this idea of, of prayer and care. Caring for one another, caring for the world, praying for one another, praying for the world. So, so grab your Bibles, turn with me over to James 5. We're going to read a passage it's a hair controversial, but I think it'll be good for us. James chapter 5, if you need help finding it, it's near the end. <laughs> James 5, starting in verse 13, we read this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we spend a few minutes discussing your word, discussing your will for your church, discussing these very specific expressions of the ministry of the church, we just ask humbly, God, that you would be present with us, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak in this space, that we would meet with you in the way our hearts need. God, I ask that you would convict us. I ask that you would draw us to deeper repentance, to deeper dependence on you, that we would leave this place tonight encouraged in your love for us, in your pleasure with your people, but also challenged to, to, to actually more fully participate in the life that you've set apart for us. We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So here's what I'd like to do this evening. We're going we're gonna to talk about the James text for, for, for just a few moments. And I think that's going to kind of give us, when we kind of have eyes on what James is telling us here, I think it's going to kind of set the stage for us to zoom in on these two ideas, these two aspects of the ministry of the church, prayer and care. And we're going to look at each of those ideas one-on-one -on -one with some specific scripture and, and some application, and we'll, we'll end our time with, with prayer and reflection and communion. So, so here's kind of the thing, and, 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 and I, want, I, want, I want you to hear this. James is a unique book to engage, and if you've never really studied James, let me give you a couple quick thoughts that will tint our discussion. 
James is what's called a general epistle, meaning it's a letter written in general to the church. We have specific epistles like the epistle to the Romans that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to one specific church. James is a general epistle written to the church at large, written by James, the brother of Jesus, who was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. He wrote this letter shortly after the first persecution broke out and the church was scattered from Jerusalem. You can read about this in the first like 10 chapters of Acts where the, the church exploded in Jerusalem and through persecution brought about in large part by uh, who would later become the Apostle Paul, uh, the church was forced to scatter. And so James wrote this letter to the church at large as it was scattering around the regions outside of the city of Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that makes James unique is that, uh, first off, with the exception of Hebrews, he's definitely the most Jewish-sounding of all the New Testament writers. And, and we know that's true if we study the actual leader, teacher, James. He was very Jewish in his convictions and in some of the earliest controversies in the church of arguing over how Jewish Christians needed to be, right? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the Ten Commandments? Those sorts of things. James definitely fell on the more conservative side of that argument that people needed to be more Jewish with guys like Peter and Paul going, no, that's not as big a deal. So he's, he's very concerned about Jewish ethics. And he also writes in a style that is the closest thing we have in the New Testament to wisdom literature. Now, this, this may be too deep in the weeds, and that's fine if you don't want to think about this part, but, but wisdom literature is this, this unique aspect of the scripture. This is books like Job or, or Proverbs or, or things like that, Ecclesiastes, that, that essentially give these generalized, like, theological sayings about how to live the best possible life or the most God-honoring life. And, and, and they're written in such a way as to be very generally applicable and very easy to remember. These kind of pithy sayings, right? If you've ever read Proverbs, it's these very pithy little sayings. It's easy to kind of worm them into your brain and remember them. The unique thing about wisdom literature is that, A, it's really easy to remember. You can pull snippets out. If you think of just some generalized New Testament quotes that you, like, know in your head, several of them are probably from James because James has these very memorable little one-liners, like, all throughout it. But the thing about wisdom literature that you have to be careful with is that it's very easy to memorize, but it's a little harder to apply. You see, part of the secret of Jewish wisdom literature is that it takes wisdom to know when to apply the wisdom. In fact, the book of Proverbs literally explicitly talks about that. How you have to be wise to know when and how to apply your wisdom. And we see that in such things where like books like Proverbs contradict themselves. There's one proverb that says, hey, don't answer a fool when he's speaking in his folly. And then in the proverb directly after it says, make sure you always answer a fool according to his folly. Uh, directly contradicting the previous one because it's not that it's telling you a universally applicable truth. It's telling you something that is generally wise and true for living a good godly life. And you have to utilize discernment and wisdom of how and when to apply it. Now, 
James is not a perfect analog to wisdom literature. It is an epistle. He's teaching his church. His church has scattered all throughout multiple regions and cities, and he's concerned for them. They're facing persecution. They're facing suffering. And he writes them this letter in the style of wisdom literature because he's concerned for them. And he wants them to hear the message and take it in. But, but the book of James is not just this perfect analog to like Proverbs. It's, it's much more like, nope, this is, this is the way it is. This, this is true. I want you to hear this. James writes in this very matter of fact, hear me on this and remember it. So that's, that's a lot, but, but, but that gets us into this text. This is the closing section of James. There's not a huge amount of flow to James. He moves through a lot of ideas. The general flow of the book has to do with engaging suffering and not, not prioritizing certain people because they're wealthy or popular. Those are kind of the big themes. But for the most part, James doesn't have much of a problem just jumping from idea to idea. So saying that this is the closing section of James, it's not like he's wrapping a bunch of ideas around here. This was just the last part that he's like, oh, this will be good. Let's make sure I get this last chunk in here. So in this last chunk of James, he talks about kind of the ministry the church participates in while it's gathered together. Do you see this? And he, and he, and he talks about specifically kinds of prayer and kinds of kind of pastoral care and engagement in each other's lives. And there's some other stuff in there too, but, 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 but in general, he references several instances here where prayer is important and appropriate for the church. Are you sorrowful? Pray. Are you ill? Call upon the elders, the pastors of the church to have them pray for you. The, the, the prayer of a righteous person is, is effective. It's powerful. Don't, don't miss out on that. But he also connects this prayer ministry of the church to very specific actions. Confess to one another. In this idea of confession, there's built in this idea that the church would be admonishing one another, challenging each other in our sins, calling each other to repentance and change. And so we see, I'm not, I'm not going to go super deep into this passage. There is some super interesting theological rabbit trails there that if you want to, to, to geek out on, I'd love to do that with you or point you in the, in, in the direction of some cool resources, right? Where he talks about healing and, and what is the appropriateness of healing in the ministry of the church and those things. It's interesting. But, but for our purposes, remember thinking about this idea that that James is teaching some of these, these general truths that are applicable to the life of the church, he's, he's zoning in here on the importance of prayer ministry and, and spiritual or pastoral care ministry within the church. We're caring for one another, calling each other to repentance, that we're, we're, we're meeting each other in our suffering and in our illness, that we're, we're praying in the midst of sorrow and sickness. And he zooms in here on very specific applications of that. I'm not, I'm not dismissing those, but, but, but I want you to kind of with me see this larger idea he's talking about. Prayer and kind of pastoral or spiritual care, this, the, the, this ministry of the church. So, so let's talk for a minute about these two pieces, and we're going to wrap back to James a couple times. 
So let's, let's, let's talk about prayer. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians 6. I'd like you to actually look at this text with me if you're able to. I'll read it. You can just listen if you want to, but I'd, I'd like you to look at it. I, I, I've been saying this a lot, but I think it's important, right? Like, prayer is one of those, one of those things we talk about in church world almost, almost stereotypically. It's, it's in the same category in my mind of you should read your Bible more. If, if you meet with a pastor and they're at some point they're not like, hey, you should pray and read your Bible more. Did you really meet with the pastor, right? Like, was it, did it actually happen? It's, it's almost stereotypical, but, but we can't get past the foundationally important nature of prayer in the life of the church. So, so we're going to read this text from Ephesians chapter 6. This is a big chunk, but look at, look at this with me. Starting in verse 10, we read this in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done it all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, that's a pretty famous passage. If you've spent a lot of time in church world, you've probably heard the armor of God talked about, Right? And we're not going to dig super deep into that, but I want you to hear this. Beloved of Jesus, you have been drafted into a spiritual battle. Now, I know that this sort of like, this is sort of uh, almost, almost a stereotype, right? Again, to, to use this kind of battlefield imagery, and maybe that's uncomfortable for some of us, but I want you to, I want you to hear this. Paul puts weight behind this. If you are in Christ... You are in a spiritual battle. We're not just talking about this thing you do on Sundays that's kind of a part of your culture and a part of your history. If we believe what the Bible teaches, then we believe that there is a spiritual reality to existence and that there are creatures, there is a person who, who actually desires evil and destruction and death for you. That because you're in Christ, because you are gathered around him and rallied around him, that there are spiritual forces at work in the world against you. And that's really stinking intense. That's a, that's a heavy thing to say. And not only is it heavy, it makes us sound kind of crazy. Yeah, I believe in the reality of 
of spiritual warfare. There's, there's evil stuff that goes on in this world. There are, there are forces in this world beyond human nature that, that, that desire destruction. Yeah, of course, people do evil things, and of course, the, the world itself is bent by sin, but there's, there's more than that. That makes you sound crazy, but that's the teaching of the Bible, that there is a spiritual reality, a darkness and evil, the effects of the curse working out in your own heart working out in this world and working out through spiritual authorities to see the will of God thwarted in this world. And so Paul takes that seriously. If you are in Christ, you are a part of a spiritual battle, so be ready. And he goes down the list. He goes down the list. Your righteousness, your faith, your salvation, all of these things prepare you for the reality of spiritual warfare. I love the image of the faith in God extinguishing the darts the enemy throws against you. What a beautiful image. But as, as Paul gives this really robust imagery around spiritual warfare, he, he brings it together by talking about what? prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Bring about your, like, like, pray in supplication. Pray for all the saints. Pray for me in my ministry. Lift up this reality to our God. In this, in this grand, intense text about the reality of spiritual warfare, Paul's go-to is please be in prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Guys, I want to encourage you to, to, to hear this. No matter what this life throws at us, you will always have this. You will always have prayer. Prayer connects us to the very heart of God. John Piper uses this image where, where he talks about, uh, think, think of the, the World War II radio operator. The guy in the battlefield with that like 60 pound backpack with like the, the coil of cable running behind him while he like runs from one foxhole to the other. He says, that guy, that's prayer. You're, you're on the battlefield in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of evil and suffering and trials. Remember, he's speaking, he's speaking while imprisoned to a church that's, that's being persecuted. And he's talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. While you're in the midst of suffering, in the midst of evil, you got this backpack with this cable sticking out. And you can grab your phone and you have a direct line, direct line to headquarters, to the guys with the maps, to the guys with access to the intelligence, to the guys who know what's going on. Doug Piper uses that image to point us back to prayer. That we step out into the world. We, we go about our day engaging the realities of the spiritual world around us as, as they come up, engaging the suffering, the trials, the doubts in our lives and the lives of others as they come up. And the whole time, you have access to your Father. Access to your Father, an immediate lifeline to your Father who knows what's going on, 
who knows what's up, who has authority. And guys, nothing can take that from you. I mean, look how practical James' discussion of prayer is for this church. Are you sad? Pray. Come on. Are you sick? Ask for prayer. I have a friend right now who's, who's going through some really scary illnesses with his spouse. And he reached out to a ton of people and just said, please pray. Please pray. There's something about that. This life is scary. It beats us up and it beats up people we love, but we have access to God the Father. Guys, every single time our gospel communities meet, you have opportunities to share your heart and pray for one another and to have other people pray for you. Every time we have a gathering in this space, you'll be invited into prayer multiple times. That's intentional. Different kinds of prayer. Prayers of just praise and worship. Prayers calling us to worship. Prayers of interceding for other ministries and other churches and other people. Prayers of of praise. Prayers of confession. An invitation to have your pastors come and pray over you or to have prayer counselors come and pray with you. And and then that doesn't have to be something where you you heard some life-changing thing in the sermon and you need Craig to pray with you. That can literally just be, I am burdened and I need prayer tonight, or, or I am concerned about this, or this is wrong in my family, or I'm worried about this illness. There are people in this room who will who will intercede before the Father for you. And if that's too intense, you can thought a connect card. Or you can email or text your pastors or your GC leader, and we will pray for you. You have access to the Father. And you have access to the ministry of prayer through the church. Because our invitation, our invitation is to bring our real heart and our real concerns to God and to allow others to do so also. You have access to that for yourself and for those in your life. And so my encouragement, my thought on this is really simple. If this is your church home, if this is your family, and even if it's not, but especially if it is, if you are in Christ, participate in this. Be be in this with us. Pray with us and pray for us. I look around this room and I am confident that there are people sitting in this room who are gifted in prayer. And you need to come up to me and tell me that you want to volunteer to be a prayer counselor and pray for our church and pray for those in need. And I guarantee that there are people in this room who need prayer who have burdens and hurts and worries and fears. Guys, I get that it's a big deal to be brave enough to open up and invite people into those things. But let me encourage you. This world is rough and it's full of sharp edges and full of sin and we are all beat up by it. Spiritual warfare is real. And there are people in this room who love you 
who will intercede to the Father on your behalf. You do not have to be alone in your hurts, alone in your fears, alone in your concerns, alone in your illness, alone in your sorrow. We will walk with you. And, and by the way, our prayers... Our prayers, according to the text, should be in the Spirit. That's a weird phrase. But, but, but according to the text, we can pray in the Spirit. Pursuing after Him, pursuing after His will, asking 